plowing right along in our study of David, uh, tonight will be lesson number nine. Uh, we will do 12, so 9, 10, 11, 12, there's four more to go, counting tonight. And then we'll have a singing night, and then we will start our Wednesday night series in March this year. We usually start in April, but we've shifted our quarters to line up with our open home meeting schedule. So that means the spring quarter begins in March, which feels more like spring because it ends in May instead of June, as we've been doing it. So look forward to that. We've got a great lineup planned. We'll be getting the information about it, the topics and speakers, and the update very soon. But before we get to that, we need to talk more about the life of David. David is getting older. We talked last week about his troubles and his family. And uh, we're going to talk more about the fallout of that in tonight's lesson. We're calling tonight's lesson Big Enough to Forgive. And uh, there's a lot about forgiveness in this lesson and also about bearing grudges and the consequences of that kind of thing. Uh, now, you can understand why David had a lot of forgiving to do. His son Absalom rebelled against him, drove him out of Jerusalem. He had to hide out for a while. He eventually wound up on the other side of the Jordan River. And then um, after Absalom was killed and the rebellion was stopped, he came back into Jerusalem, a very humbled man. Not the David who left Jerusalem. I would say he, he was a different person from that day forward. A lot of people had betrayed him, even in his own family. Uh, a lot of people surprised him by their disloyalty. You can imagine how difficult it was. And for him to continue, he had to be a forgiving person. Forgiveness is God's heart, right? We're talking about a man after God's own heart. And so we are looking for forgiveness in the life of David because of that description that he wears. Uh, however, it's not clean and simple as we'd like for it to be because David's a human being. So like we struggle with forgiveness, he struggled with it too. And, uh, the text in 2 Samuel 19 zeroes in on one particular character that kind of stands for all the people who are disloyal to David. And we see his disloyalty and uh, we see David's response to it. And that's basically what we're going to look at tonight and get some lessons from uh, that episode in our study. So turn over with me to 2 Samuel 19, where we're introduced to a guy named Shemaiah. Shemaiah. He was a member of the house of Saul, some kind of relative of Saul. And so you really see that Saul's people still haven't come to fully accept David. When Absalom rebelled against David, that was their opportunity. And so we see this man, Shemaiah. We're introduced to him, as I said, 
Uh, we're going to read about him in chapter 19, but we're introduced to him in chapter 16. So that's where we're going to start reading 2 Samuel 16. Picture David leaving Jerusalem. And then verse 5. When King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimeah, the son Shimei. I'm going to figure out how to say this before the end of class. Shimei is the way I'm going to go. The son of Gera, and as he came, he cursed continually. Now, you know, we say cursing when we're talking about using bad words. And he was using some bad words, all right, but it was pointed toward David. When it says he cursed continually, he wasn't just cussing because he hit his thumb with a hammer, okay? He was bringing down curses from heaven on David's head. He might have been saying, I hope you die. I hope your son Absalom kills you and reigns in your place and probably worse things than that. Maybe he said, I hope you get everything that's coming to you. I hope they do to you what you did to Uriah. And so he was cursing him continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. So maybe he was not very smart or maybe he was courageous or both, but he's just one person here. And he's throwing rocks and dirt at David and his mighty men. And verse 7, Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Now, who in the house of Saul did David kill? Did he, did he kill Saul? He didn't. Did he have opportunity to kill Saul? At least twice, right? Did he kill Saul's son Ishbosheth, who had vied for the throne? No, some assassins killed him, and David made them face consequences for the killing of Ishbosheth. Did he kill Jonathan? Jonathan was his best friend. He did not bring blood on the house of Saul. He didn't do that. But you don't see David defend himself. You do see Abishai. This is David's nephew, the brother of Joab. We talked about these three brothers, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Asahel is dead. But Abishai is uh, one of the leading commanders of David's army. He's loyal to David. And in verse 9, the son of Zariah, that's David's sister, he said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? I read in that a lot of guilt and shame. I think we can explain David's behavior at this stage as feeling like he's getting what he deserved. Perhaps remembering 
the prophecy of Nathan in 2 Samuel 12.10 that the sword would not depart from his house. And so that's why Shimei lived through this episode is because David felt like he deserved everything he was getting. And so he says, if the Lord wants him to curse me, let him curse me. Verse 11, David said to Abishai and all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite? Uh, Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin, so this man was a Saul loyalist. Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So, you know, maybe the Lord will give me credit for getting punished in this way. David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. So this man was dedicated to his heckling, right? He was very dedicated, following him along the hillside, picking up rocks and throwing. Um, a very ugly scene, catching David at his weak, weakest. Well, last week we talked about Absalom's rebellion and how it didn't work out, how the tide turned against Absalom. Absalom fled and his head or his hair got caught in the branches of a tree. Joab, David's army commander, against David's wishes, killed Absalom, ended the rebellion. And uh, last week we ended class with David's mournful cry at the end of 2 Samuel 18. Oh, my son Absalom, Absalom, I wish it were me instead of you. Absalom, my son, my son. So we come to chapter 19. David is on his way back to Jerusalem. The rebellion's over, but his heart is very heavy. And he is trying to put the pieces back together of what's left of his kingdom. And he encounters this guy, Shimei. And would you believe it? Shimei has had a change of heart. He's not throwing rocks and dirt anymore. He does show up, though, with a thousand men, which I find very interesting. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 19, and let's start reading verse 16. And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, from Baharim, Baharim, these are hard words tonight. Hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David, and with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and his 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king, and they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan, and said to the king, let not my Lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I've come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my Lord the king. Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? Now, Bishai was the one in chapter 16, the one to cut off his head. So he's saying, are you still letting this guy live? I'll do it. Just say the word and I'll kill him. 
But David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. Now this is interesting. You know how people in the Bible took oaths. Uh, When they said, I swear, they meant it. And it was a culture in which oaths were not to be taken lightly. We're reminded of the story of Jephthah in the book of Judges who took an oath that he would offer to the Lord if the Lord gave him victory in battle, the first thing that came out to greet him when he arrived home. And it was his daughter. And he followed through with his oath. Uh, There are other examples. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount warns us not to get involved in making rash oaths and taking vows, but to just be a person of honor. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Well, David takes an oath here that he's not going to put Shimei to death. But I want you to look very carefully at the wording again in verse 22. Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? I do not know that I am this day, or do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? I think uh, some translations have today. And I believe as we look back on it in hindsight, David was cleverly injecting this qualification this day. Shimei, I'm not going to put you to death today. And so he took an oath and he meant it. But there was a little fine print there that Shimei may not have noticed at the time. Well, let's fast forward to 1 Kings chapter 2 and get the rest of the story. We find David in 1 Kings 2, very old, on his deathbed, giving final instructions to Solomon. And in these final words, he remembers Shimei. Before we get to Shimei, let's read his instructions regarding Joab. Joab is the man who killed his son Absalom, Joab was the army commander, the nephew of David, who'd been loyal to David his whole time. I don't know that David ever learned, as we know, that Joab killed Absalom. He might have suspected it. Maybe it was a question he never wanted the answer to. Um, It doesn't appear in his conversation with Solomon here, as he's giving the kingdom over to Solomon, that he knew about Joab's murder of Absalom, but he knew about Joab's bloodthirstiness in other ways. And so um, let's go to 2 Kings 2, verse 5, where he talks about Joab. Moreover, you also know what Joab the son of Zariah did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner the son of Ner and Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for the blood that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt round his waist and on the sandals on his feet. You probably don't remember these two incidents. We we went over one of them. We didn't go over the other. 
We talked about how he killed Abner. Abner was the commander of Saul's armies. And when David was bringing all of Israel together after Saul's death, Abner made a deal with him and they joined together. But Joab saw Abner as a threat. Now maybe he saw him as a personal threat. He made out like he was afraid for David. But Abner was a really powerful commander, had the same rank and position as Joab. And so without David's permission, Joab killed Abner. Also, Abner had killed his brother Asahel, and so there was a lot of personal revenge involved. The same is true of the second man that he mentions, Amasa. Amasa was Absalom's general. But after the Absalom rebellion, David made nice with Amasa, and there was an understanding that there would be peace But Joab didn't like it, and without David's permission, he goes and tricks Amasa and and murders him in an unfair fight, really. And uh, that's described in great detail in previous chapters. We haven't gone over it in this class. But that's what David is talking about. And you'll notice nothing is said about Absalom. He's listing the murders of Joab, and he doesn't list the biggest one that would anger David the most... The, the murder of his son Absalom. So that's why I say he probably didn't know about it. So David's talking to Solomon in verse 6. He says, Act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. Now, he was aware of Solomon's wisdom. This is before the prayer is answered in the next chapter to God for the ability to lead the people in an understanding way. But Solomon apparently was already showing a propensity for knowledge and wisdom and knowing what to do, discretion. And so David is careful in his wording here, but he's saying, this is a man of blood, and he doesn't deserve to go down in peace to Sheol. That's code for, I don't want him near me in the afterlife. They didn't have as much information on the afterlife as as we do. And so he may not have been thinking in terms of heaven and hell. He's just thinking, I'm going to Sheol, the grave, the realm of the dead. I'm going there in peace. And I don't want Joab to go in peace. And so I don't want to spend eternity with Joab. And it's really sad to see this because the two of them were together throughout all of David's life. Joab was always by his side. He was a nephew of David. But these were David's instructions. So Solomon does put Joab to death. Um, Solomon's man, his general was Benaiah, one of David's mighty men. And he sent Benaiah to kill Joab. Joab runs to the altar of burnt offerings and holds on to the horns. He's thinking, he won't have me killed in this holy place. But Solomon basically says, if that's the way he wants to go out, take him out. And Benaiah killed him right there as he held on to the altar of burnt offerings. So let's go back to these final words and see what he said about Shimei. This is 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 8. 
David says, There is also with you Shimei, I say this differently every time, I'm sorry, Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite uh, from Baharim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahanaim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord. So he remembers he made an oath. I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. That's what he said to, about Joab. Solomon, you can figure this out. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. So he doesn't, he doesn't break his oath because he didn't do it with his own hands. He just kind of winks and says, Solomon, you'll know what to do. But bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. And I think it's fitting and a little sad that those are David's last words. The last words the king will utter in recorded history anyway are with blood to Sheol. He was a man that led a very violent life. He was a man of war. That's why God wouldn't let him build the temple. Solomon followed through with the instructions and he brought Shimei in and he, in his wisdom, basically put him under house arrest. It seems to be following kind of the custom of um, what they would do with people guilty of manslaughter. If you were guilty of accidentally killing somebody, you could run to a city of refuge. He puts him in a city of refuge and he says, as long as you stay here, you're okay. You leave the city, I'm going to kill you. Well, for reasons I won't get into in this class, Shimei had to leave town. And as soon as he did, Solomon dispatched Benaiah and Benaiah killed Shimei, according to David's wishes. Now, let's talk about forgiveness. Did David forgive him? Or did he not? And what did Shimei, what did he deserve? And what would you have done in Shimei's place and what would you do in David's shoes? Well, let's talk about Shimei first. What lessons can we learn from his disloyalty? The first one is follow principles, not poles. Follow principles, not poles. Shimei was on David's side until Absalom rebelled. Then he flies all the way to the other extreme, more than any other person, following the procession out of Jerusalem, screaming curses at the king, who hadn't been out of Jerusalem even five seconds, throwing rocks and dust, acting like a crazy person. Why? Because he thought that's what would be popular right now. This will get me in with the right people. Well then, surprise, surprise, Absalom's rebellion's overthrown. David's going back to Jerusalem. He meets a very different Shimei. This time one who's very penitent. I have sinned. I did wrong. He's calling himself your servant. We see this all the time. People who are just tossed around by the winds of change. They're going to do whatever is popular, whatever they think 
will go, will, will make them fit in, and they're not people of principle. But God's people are people of principle. We take a stand even when it's not popular. And we're living in times where Christian teaching is not popular. And we're going to be put in more and more awkward situations. We can't be like Shimei. Aimless and purposeless, we have to live by principle. The second lesson from Shimei is choose your battles carefully. Now, I don't believe he was right in cursing David. But let's assume that he had a case against him. He was a, out of the house of Saul. He felt like he had been disenfranchised by David in some way. And so let's say that's the case. Even if it were, is this the way to confront David? Absolutely not. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know all the facts yet. And this might be a worthy battle, but it not, may not be the time for it. There are times when we need to fight. You know, Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. At the end of his life, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought a good fight. He fought. Uh, Jude 3, contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. So we're called upon as Christians to fight, but then we're also called to be peacemakers, Matthew 5, 9, to pursue those things which make for peace. We're told that our kingdom is uh, a kingdom of peace, Romans 14. We're taught that if, if it's possible, live peaceably with all men, Romans 12, 18. There's a time for peace, there's a time for war. So choose your battles carefully. Use wisdom and discretion before you charge into battle. And think, always think about God's will in the matter. I think we often turn into Shimei when we're thinking about how we're going to look, how we might position ourselves. Or we're just angry. We want vengeance. It's usually when we make the biggest mistakes. I remember a time when I was still learning to preach and wasn't at this church. Uh, I was at an, another church and I filled in for a preacher. And I guess I preached too long because afterwards one of the elders came up to me and he said, you're good, but you're not good enough to be preaching 45 minutes. Well, I'm sure many of you will agree that nobody's good enough to preach 45 minutes. Nobody wants a 45 minute sermon. But that's what he said to me when I was just out of school trying to figure this thing out. And there were so many things that I could have said, but I was young and I couldn't, I was just stunned. I couldn't say anything. And looking back on it, I'm glad I didn't say anything to him. Because in the end, the battle was fought better with silence than with words. I think you, you rarely make a mistake by being slow to speak, slow to anger. James 1.19 Maybe you need to act, but always think before you go into battle. Okay, enough about Shimei. Let's get to David. 
Let's talk about forgiveness a little bit. And the first thing that we should learn from here, and I think David is an example of this in places, is develop a thicker layer of skin. Don't um, be sensitive. A lot of times we get into trouble because we're basing our sense of worth on what other people think about us. We can't live our lives that way. We always need to be basing our worth and our sense of self on what God thinks about us. And I think it's Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 who said, God is my judge. In other words, I don't care what other people say about me as long as God approves of me. If you can get to that point, you can get some thick skin. Now, it's really hard, and I'm not a specialist on this. I'm not setting myself up to say, you know, I have thick skin. I don't. I get my feelings hurt. I'm a people pleaser, and I realize it. And a lot of us suffer from that. But you make some pretty big mistakes if you do. I think David demonstrated some thick skin when Shimei was cursing him and throwing rocks at him and throwing dirt at him. But then he held on to it. And so that leads us to some other thoughts. Number two, try to understand where your offender is coming from. Most of the time, we don't know where this is coming from. And when somebody treats us unfairly or says hurtful things to us, they're not really angry at us. We just happen to be the person in the way. An easy target, low-hanging fruit. You've heard the, the expression, hurt people hurt people. Think about that. That's usually going on when somebody treats you unfairly, wrongs you in some way. Ask yourself, and this will give you more empathy, ask yourself, what could be causing all of this anger and pent-up frustration, what's going on in this person's life? And that, that question is never going to steer you in the wrong direction if you just seek to understand them a little bit better. It doesn't mean you don't confront them. It doesn't mean you don't correct or rebuke when needed. But if you take a little time to understand them, you might find better words and never get defensive. What we want to do is stand up for ourselves. If you've got a solid reputation, you usually don't have to defend yourself. People know you. What you're trying to do is bring peace into the situation. Look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So there's a contrast between two different kinds of people. Which one do you want to be? Do you want to be the first one whose rash words are like sword thrusts? Do you want all your words to be biting and hurtful? Or would you like to be the wise whose tongue brings healing? I think we know what the Lord wants. He wants our words to be a blessing to others. Let your speech be always with grace. Colossians 4 verse 6. Listen, mercy is not a weakness. 
It takes a very strong person to show mercy to someone else. The easy thing to do is to lash out, get angry, get revenge, because that's the natural reaction. Now, I don't know about you, but what I've noticed about our culture is we celebrate the rash people with biting words. He didn't mince words. He let them have it. Did you hear what he said? Wow, I don't think I could have ever stood up to a person the way he did. And then when somebody holds their tongue, we can be critical of them. He's weak. He didn't have the guts to say what needs to be said. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes we are cowards. But don't mistake mercy with weakness. The Lord was merciful, but nobody ever accused Him of being weak. Okay, here's another one. And if you have some thoughts, I think we're going to have time for you to share your thoughts on this. Recall times in your life when you needed forgiveness. Are you perfect? Absolutely not. Not one of us can say that we led a perfect life. And this is what um, Paul is telling us in Colossians 3.13. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Forgiveness is the way to break the cycle. Because everybody is sinned. There's not a person on earth who can claim perfection. And so when, you know, somebody wrongs you, remind yourself of what it's like to be in their position and need forgiveness. And then finally, and this is maybe something David didn't do, openly declare forgiveness. He did that and move on. I'm not sure he moved on. Forgiveness is supposed to be a way for you to move forward. If you're stuck in the wrong, if you're stuck in the past, you're not doing it right. You forgive, and then you move on. People say forgive and forget. I don't like that because it puts an unnecessary burden of erasing your memory. People take that phrase so literally. I've been asked so many times, you know, am am I wrong because I forgave, but I just can't forget? It's what, what it means is forgive and then move on with your life. Sadly, it looks like David carried Shimei on his back for the rest of his life. And that's a heavy burden. That's a burden that will wear you down. His final words bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. On your deathbed, do you want to be thinking about the person who hurt you? Do you want to give them that much control over you that even in your dying hours, your last words are about them? I mean, that's not what we want. So, 
Forgiveness is about forgiving and moving forward. I think um, it's important for us to pause and look at this little episode that's usually skipped when we study the life of David. I think it's important to talk about this guy Shimei and the aftermath of his curses because it's a warning to all of us about what could happen if we just bear a grudge all the way to the end. Did anybody want to share anything? I'm sure that there's some other thoughts. Linda. Yeah. Well, there are, there are a lot of question marks, you know, about that phrase, a man after God's own heart, and how far we should take it. Um, and I don't pretend to fully understand that. With Bathsheba, you know, we talked about this, and we said the part that was a man after God's own heart is when he admitted his sin and said the same thing about his sin that God says about his sin. Now here, you know, we don't know all the details, and we don't know what's going on. But um, it doesn't seem like he's acting in character with a man after God's own heart. Not in this part. And he wasn't a perfect man. Sharon. Yeah. No, and, you know, we might have maybe suspected something when the forgiveness that he offered came with an oath. And that gets back to what Christ said. Why do you need to take an oath if you're a man of your word, if you really mean it? You know, you, you start worrying that something's going wrong when your kids constantly are saying, I promise, I turned my homework in, I promise. Why are you so desperate to explain this, you know? May, I, I believed you until you said, I promise. Now I'm starting to wonder if you really did turn your homework in. Yeah, that's number two on this list. I think with Saul, he understood where Saul was coming from. He knew the man Saul. Shimei, I don't know that he looked into the person as much as he did with Saul. But uh, he practiced forgiveness with Saul. Yes. And maybe all that. That that needs to be considered. That is fair. Because what happens right before these instructions, there's a there's another rival to the to the throne named Adonijah. And they had to put that rivalry down. And Solomon's facing that at the same time as all this, and in the midst of all these instructions about what to do. Uh, you have this advice with Joab. Joab had backed the rival. So it's, it's the context. There may have been political reasons for the advice. Drew, I think it's important too to remember. And I'm glad you brought that up. I got off my notes, but um, what Shimei did was a capital offense. You look at Exodus chapter 22, verse 28. You curse the king, you die. So... It was a capital offense. There was a long time between the execution of the sentence and the crime. But you're right. Consequences come with action. David's life is telling that story itself. All right, good discussion. Appreciate it. That's all the time we have.